Please be seated. Uh, at this time, I think we'll have the offering. I don't know if we're doing the offering. Great. We'll have the offering. Uh, if you're new with us, please just feel free to let that pass by. This is a way for us as a body to express uh, that we worship God with every part of our lives, including our money, and we uh, want to express that. So feel, if you're new, please feel free to just let it zing on by. Zing. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm, my name is Dan. I'm pastor of mission practice here at Restoration. I'm not the usual teaching pastor, so this morning you're going to get the unusual teaching pastor. It's kind of like in uh, uh, Young Frankenstein, when Igor is sent out to get the body parts for, for the Frankenstein, and he looks for a brain, and he drops the brain that he should have got on the ground and it, the bottle breaks. And so he grabs the next brain and the next brain says abnormal. And he takes that back to Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein. And Dr. Frankenstein, what kind of brain did you get? He's like, I got Abby's brain. Abby who? Abby normal. And uh, there things just deteriorate from there. So I'm the Abby normal pastor. And next, uh, the, the normal pastor is on vacation, so good for him. And you will, so what you will experience is not what you normally would experience if you're new. And this is not what I would normally experience either. There's a passage of scripture. We are working our way through the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And we're doing this, we've done this for quite a while now. We've had a lot of uh, months going through the book of Corinthians. And now we make our way to chapter 11. And we're starting the next series in the Corinthians called Undivided. And this is a series that where Paul starts talking about public worship, about worship of the Corinthians, how to do it, how to express themselves to God, and how they should, what things they should consider when worshiping God. And so I'm, we're starting that out with chapter 11 this week, and I'm, uh, I'm very intimidated by this passage, so i just let you know, I'm just going to say that, and you'll find out why, but we're gonna, I'm going to read the passage out loud and read the whole thing to you this morning, and then we're going to talk about it. So let me get it here on my phone. And the passage goes as this, verse, chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having the head sh her head shaved. For if the woman does not cover her head, she might as well have either her hair cut off, but it is a disgrace, but if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, 
that she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, the woman is not independent of the man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice nor do the churches of God. Wow. <laughs> All right, uh, men, uh, cut your hair. Women, wear hats. Sermon done. No, not quite, right? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Ryan. As you can see, this is... This is this is a difficult passage, particularly in our day and age. Things are, are changing and transforming. Gender issues are in the forefront. Every, every week, every day, seems like things are different in how we view each other in, in, as male and female, men and women. And so looking at this passage, I thought, oh, well, maybe I can find some clarity in studying this passage of Scripture Unfortunately, what I add, the more I studied this pastor, this passage, the more I realized this is a very confusing passage of scripture. And there's a lot of scholarly argument going on about this passage of scripture. In the first place, the word head, when it's talking about the literal head, is a, is a great word. It's just it's very simple. But it's also used as a symbol in this passage, that head means something metaphorically, and it's so it's used sometimes for the head and sometimes metaphorically for, for something else. Well, there's an argument that's been going on for a lot of years between scholars is as to what that metaphorical meaning of head is. One side says, oh, that metaphorical meaning for head means authority. So every time you read, that pa you read this passage that uh, the, the, the man is the head of the woman, the man is the authority of the woman, and God is the authority of the man, and God is also the authority of Christ. You could read it as authority. So that's one, one side of this argument. The other side of this argument says, no, the word head in this context means source like the head of a river or the head of a trail, trailhead. So that's, the, in this context, in the Greek, it means source or beginning, which you would tend to read that verse very differently then. You said them, that 
God is the beginning of the man. And the man is the beginning of the woman. And God is also the beginning of Christ. Take you two completely different directions. And so then I studied some more and got into it a little more. And then I realized there's no clarity with scholars either on the cultural context that Paul is addressing. It's not really clear what the question is from the Corinthian church about head coverings or if there is a question about head coverings or he just heard something about them. So Paul's addressing a question that we don't have. So some scholars say, oh, Paul, uh, when he first started the church, he told them, like in Galatians, he told them, there's no difference between male and female. In Christ, everyone is equal. So some scholars say, well, Paul, the Corinthian church, was starting to take that too far. They were just getting crazy and mixing up their, uh, the ways that each sex did worship, and they were doing whatever they wanted, and Paul wanted to rein it back in. So that's one group. Another group over here says, no, the uh, religious cults of the day in Corinth involved sex. And if you wanted to go participate in one of the idolatry cults of Corinth, and you went with your, if you were a woman and you went with your hair wild, it meant you want to really participate in the service and you wanted to have sex outside of your relationship with your husband in marriage. And if you were a man and you had long hair, they said in that day it meant that you also wanted to have sex in worship. <laughs> Imagine that worship service. <laughs> Crazy. In some sense, the best, the closest I can, <laughs> don't imagine that, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I just say that? Oh. oh, Lord, forgive me. Imagine that. Uh, how can I back off of that one? Don't imagine that, okay. All right. But it's somewhat like, to me, I thought, how, what is it like for us to imagine that today? It would be like you come to the doors of, the, of this room, and the body is gathering. And you come to the doors, and everybody, there's a little bowl there, and everybody takes off their wedding rings and puts them in the bowl, and then enters. It's saying something very weird. That's saying something totally contrary to faithfulness. And Paul is saying, you know what? The Christian church, the gospel, is about faithfulness. So that's on this side, that's on the other side. And then you get to this statement that women's hair is their glory, but they've got to have authority. That's the only time that the word actually, the word for authority is used in this passage. That they have to have authority over their own hair or their own head because of the angels. What does that mean? <laughs> You've got some camps that say, well, this goes back to Genesis when uh, the sun, uh, before uh, Noah, there was a time when it says the sons of God went in and had relations with the daughters of, of man, and then it just leaves it there, and who knows what that means? So some say, yeah, that's what it refers to, that you'll, if, you, if your hair is down and wild, you'll... Women will attract angels to want to come and hang out with them. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, when will this sermon be over? Thank you, Lord. Okay. And then the, on the other side, others say that the angel thing is that when we do worship like this, angels gather, even though they're unseen, they gather and they worship God with us. It's kind of cool. But it's kind of weird, too, to think, okay, the angels are gathered around, they're worshiping, one angel bends over to the other and says, man, do you see that woman's hair? You know, and they get distracted. By... So, uh, so you can see that this passage has a lot of controversy and a lot of people on both sides. And so it's, it's been given to me to straighten it all out for you. Well, if you expected answers, you're not going to get any this morning. Because I'm the pastor of mission practice, so what am I about? I'm about practice. So I, I think I want to look at this from a, a practice standpoint. What I think Paul wants from the Corinthians church is to practice prayer and prophecy in a way that honors God. In a way that honors God. So in that time, in that church, somehow that had to do with whether they covered or uncovered their heads. But for us, it's not our world. It could be our world. There are places in this world where women cover their heads and men shave their heads. You look at the history of religion and Christian practice, you've got all kinds of ways that people use clothes and hair and head coverings to express their faith in God. And I want to say that you can express your faith in God through the way you present your outward image. I do, want, I do not want to get rid of that. I believe it can be very beautiful. Because I'm a person that wants to put things into practice, I always want to see where the rubber hits the road, I experiment with these kind of things. So if you're around me and I'm wearing a baseball hat, you may see some weird things go on. Maybe they're not weird to you. But one of the things that I might do, and I'm not going to say I will do this for the rest of my life, but at this point in my life, this is what I do. I believe that I have one allegiance to the kingdom of God. One allegiance. I have to have things narrowed down for myself. I'm one. So sometimes when you see me and I'm wearing a baseball hat and the national anthem comes on, I might not take it off. Because I am trying to sort out which country I'm actually giving my life to. Other Christians, you will see them take it off and there will be a sign of respect. There's other ways to do this. But if you're with me and we start praying or we start talking to God, I immediately will pull that hat off because that's my allegiance. That's my one thing. So I take my hat off for my one thing and I leave it on at other times. So this is... There's a rich history of people doing things with their bodies and with their, the way they present their image to, 
to stand up for Jesus and for the gospel. You might, uh, I'm sure you've heard of the Amish, right? Everybody's heard of the Amish. Well, the Amish wear a beard around their face, but they have no mustache. And we, I always thought, boy, that's weird. They just got this beard thing. They cut out the mustache. Why do they do that? Why does everybody do that? Well, recently I found out that when the Amish began, they were a group that said, we are for peace. We are a pacifist group. We, we believe Jesus does not want people to fight. We want, Jesus wants people to, to be at peace with each other. Well, and they believed that, and at, in their time, if you were a soldier in the army, you grew a mustache. If you were a soldier in the army, you grew a mustache and no beard. Sort of today, cops have mustaches, right? I don't know. Some of them do. I play with a, 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 a cop from Wheat Ridge, a policeman, and he wears a mustache like me, and he has my same name anyway. But uh, it's sort of like, the, maybe it's like that. Maybe it's not. Where do you play with that? I play basketball. <laughs> Good. Thanks, Dan. I played basketball with a policeman who has a mustache. Anyway, so the Amish, when they started, they were an Anabaptist group, and they believed in living out the Sermon on the Mount, and one of the things they found in the Sermon on the Mount was peace, that you turn the other cheek. So they said, hey, let's, as a group, grow beards and shave off our mustaches to tell everybody else we're not in the army and we don't believe in violence. Well, several centuries later, you just look at them and you say, that's weird, beard without a mustache, but you don't know the roots of it. But this can, this, this can be used all kinds of ways. I have a, a, a son-in-law who was in a, a group called the Bruderhof, and um, they wear a certain dress, and it's very simple, and they don't wear belts, but they wear suspenders. And he remembers as a kid that he did not like standing out to the rest of society by wearing suspenders instead of a belt. So they would, whenever the kids would go to high school, and at that time they were going to a public high school, their parents expected them to wear suspenders all day, but they knew they would be completely ridiculed and stand out, and they didn't really care about the reasons. So they, he said they would go down the hill to the bus stop from their community, and by the bus stop, there was a tree standing there. And he said, every morning, you would see dozens of pairs of suspenders hanging on that tree. And they'd go to school. And they'd come back, and everybody would put their suspenders back on and pretend like they wore them all day long. The history of Christians and clothes is that you can't force anybody to dress anyway unless they believe it, unless they're convinced that it is a, a valuable thing. That's why Paul says, judge for yourselves. Judge for yourselves. Here's what I think, but judge for yourselves. So what Paul is about and I think what we're gonna, I'm going to concentrate on the last part of this morning is, Paul is about prayer and prophecy. Paul says, 
When men pray and prophesy, do this. When women pray and prophesy, do this. Notice there's no difference between men and women in whether or not they pray or prophesy. Both do. So in the churches of Corinth, not only were they led, many of them led by women, but everyone was participating in speaking the word of God, either in prayer, by reading psalms, or in prophecy. Now, prophecy is not just about predicting the future. Prophecy is all, mostly about telling the truth and, and, and uh, uh, revealing where there are lies. Telling the truth and revealing where there are lies to the glory of God. So Paul is saying, I want you to tell the truth, expose the lies that are in this world. I want you to tell the truth and I want you to pray about that in your services. So this morning, the best way I can find to make this passage worthwhile for me is to ask you to join me in a time of prayer. And the way we're going to do this is a little bit different. This is the abnormal part. This does not happen when Ryan's here. So you guys who, wanna, who are new, feel free to come back and see the normal <laughs> service. Anyway, I'm going to ask that we divide up in the two sides of the room between men and women. So if please all the women would come and sit on these, this side of the room and all the men would sit on this side. When I was in Guatemala, I went to a, a worship... Go ahead and do that now while I'm talking. I went to a worship service in the middle of the jungle and I walked into the church and the church was divided, even uh, split right down the middle between men and women. And it was surprising to me, and I, I thought, oh, whoa, what's going on here? But it was, in some ways, it was actually really neat, too, because I had never been in a service like that. Wow, that was easy. You guys did that so well. Okay, let's switch. No. Just... I was talking with Ben and Randy, and they're like, that's going to take at least 10 minutes to do that. Good thing it did. But I was in this church, and, we had, and they were split between men and women. And it was actually, there's some really neat things happening with it. When we worshiped, you could hear the, the men's voices and the women's voices. And when there was prayer time, you could hear the women's prayers and the men's prayers. And, and it was really interesting to me. I don't know if I would want it all the time. But it gave me a new context for men and women of God in the church. And one thing was interesting, when we went into the church, uh, I was working in the jungle cutting down, uh, cutting trees for lumber for a, a medical center, and there was a, a guy from Guatemala who was from the Caribbean side of Guatemala who was not from that area, and we walked into the worship service, and he was uh, with us, and he looked at the men and the women, and immediately he went and sat down in the middle of the women's side. And that's nothing big, but in that context, it was pretty profound. I'm like, what's he doing? And he was just smiling and talking and, touch and grabbing the kids because a lot of the kids were on the women's side. And it really moved me. 
I think in this time, this day and this time with the battles going on between genders, that we have an opportunity as a church to show forth the truth, to show forth peace and love and grace and humility and solidarity. Yes, men and women are different. But God loves us equally and God has wants us all to participate in his body. God wants us all to lead people toward the gospel. But sometimes we get at odds with each other. So, I'm going to stop talking about that. What I want to do is divide each side up into roughly three groups. Or even it could end up being four, but go ahead and Maybe turn around to the two or three rows behind you or in front of you on both, both men and women. We're going to divide up into groups, and your assignment for this morning is to take in your group, if you're on the women's side, is to take your group and write a short prayer, a one or two line prayer for the men of the church. And it can involve, it can be encouraging, it can involve truth-telling, it could be something that you want God to hear for the men of the church. One or two lines. And then the men, you're going to do the same thing, but you're going to write a prayer for the women of the church. So one or two lines, working together, thinking about how you want to encourage the women, what truths you want them to know, what ways you want to build them up and write a couple lines of a prayer. One of, the, one of the things that, you don't have to make all the chairs neat or anything. Just turn them around. One of the things that I, I, I want to hit on before we do our time of prayer is that if we talk about the prophecy side of this passage of Scripture and telling the truth and exposing lies, the church has a great responsibility in this area between men and women to start telling the truth telling the truth that God wants to be heard and exposing some of the lies, you know, telling the truth that God made men and women to depend and work together and to, to lift up each other, to help each other's gifts, to, to form a way of being the people of God that shines forth love and peace and justice. And some of the lies that we need to expose, particularly with this passage of Scripture, is that no way does God want anyone lording anything over anyone else. No way does he want violence used to make sure this is the way things are. No way does he want women to be subordinate and under the foot of men. There's no way that's what God wants. And we need to tell that truth. And we need to tell it as a church in the way we're formed, in the way we worship, in the way we care for each other. That these lies are not from Jesus. Jesus says, you want to be first? Be last. You want to know what it is like to be a lover of people? Serve everyone. 
Paul says, submit yourselves to each other. These are the lies that need to be exposed. And we do it by the way we live in this society. So that's some of the prophecy part. I want you to be thinking about truths and lies in terms of how we read Corinthians, how we worship God, and how we relate to each other. So I'm going to ask uh, as we... I want to ask that we now take a time of prayer. And I want... uh, I guess I'll... Maybe the way it uh, would be good to do this is have one a spokesperson from the women's group stand, uh, come up here and read her first, the first prayer, then have one from the men and alternate through the prayer time. And thank you for participating in this experiment. Let's pray. You guys can. Oh, there's one coming. Okay. Father, just thank you for this time of prayer. Lord, we boldly ask that you'd make the men of our church so God-fearing. They are leaders of integrity, lovers of your word, courageous, not fearful, listeners of God, healed of their deepest hurts, and serving others as men of faith, richly trusting God. Heavenly Father, may you liberate may you liberate the women of our church from unreal images of women to be free to realize who who they are in the love of the Father. May you give grace to draw love and patience for the men in their lives. Let the giftings of compassion, long-suffering, love, and understanding be fully encouraged in their lives. Lord, because let them know that because they love you, that you are the beauty in them. And Lord, may we as fathers give our daughters a truthful image of what it means to be a woman. Father, we pray that the men would realize and know the source, their source is God. They would be led in truth and able to discern truth. Lord, we pray that there would be unity in relationships as we serve Christ and one another. Lord, we just pray that the women of the body of Christ would rest in Christ's love, wisdom, compassion, grace, stewardship, patience, communication, and identity. God, we thank you for 
their worth and their value. And we thank you for how you uniquely created them um, to be a part of the body of Christ. Lord, we pray that the men would be comfortable with sensitivity and vulnerability to lean into humility and their soft side. Um, that they would be comfortable with being open and honest and overcome the fear of judgment and ridicule by others when they do embrace vulnerability. Lord, we pray that um, they would know that they are loved and they are worthy of God's love. Give them the courage to lean, lead with the knowledge that they are not alone to embrace support from their community and give them the courage to lean into that community to help ward off the lies of the enemy and to hear your voice in others. Lord, we pray um, for the women of our church, um, that they would be strengthened by your love, and as men, that we would stand, be able to stand uh, in your love and strengthen them as well. We want to build them up in their identities in Christ and remind them of that. We pray that they would have a deep knowledge of their own strength in you and their beauty and their value as women of God. Father God, we want to thank you first of all that you've made us different, male and female. We thank you for the differences between us. We pray, Lord Jesus, for the men in our church. We pray for discernment for leadership, courage to live for Christ. We ask that in their lives you would cultivate strength, tenderness, passion, listening skills, dear Lord, and that you would just um, cultivate tenderness in their hearts and souls to you and to their families around them. In Jesus' name, amen. As we, as we close, um, we'd like everyone in, in the church where I'm from, when the pastor gives a benediction, he, goes, he stands up front, raises his hands, and then gives a blessing on the congregation. I'd like you all to stand and face the center, to face each other, women and men. And I'd like you to raise your hands toward each other as we give the benediction, and uh, give a blessing on each other. <laughs> this is like Fiddler on the Roof or something. <laughs> May you now go in the love of the Father, in the joy of the Holy Spirit, and in the peace and life of Jesus Christ. Amen.